All right, Mike. Uh, what we've been kind of doing lately is letting people introduce themselves, and then I don't fumble over anything or leave anything out. So, do you want to give an introduction to who you are? Uh, sure. I'm uh, Master Corporal uh, Mike Opatoski. Uh, recently promoted in the Air Force, so I'm no longer a uh, infantier. Uh, so my career started in 2001. I joined Lincoln Welland in St. Catharines. Um, I did that for a decade. Lincoln, did you say Lincoln? Lincoln and Welland. Is that like an infantry reserve? Unit? Yes. Okay. The Argyles will know who we are because okay. we like to get into trouble and they like to get into trouble. I know you had a lot of yeah, we Riley have, and Argyle guys on. Yeah, Wardo's not here, but he's an Argyle. Is, did yeah. you say it's a Highland regiment? No, regiment? it is not. Okay. Um, in the in the mess, you might think it because we we like to in the day have a, a few beers and uh, when I was in uh, the links, it was uh, 31 Brigade. We were part of 31 Brigade. What year was this? From 01 to 2011. Okay. Component transferred. So now, currently, I'm a I'm an ACS tech, so uh, aircraft structures technician. Okay. So the way I explain it is, uh, I'm like the body man. I'm like the body man on a on a plane. We've got engines and uh, mechanical side, then you've got avionics, where the supposed to be the uh, the fun trade welding. It's the airframe tech. Uh, airframe used to be its own thing. The way I, it's basically yeah, it's the it's all the nuts and bolts and rivets and sheet metal and fabric. There's sewing in the trade, and like, I believe you got to do about ten years of infantry to get that trade. <laughs> yeah, they well, don't just give that one out. It's a good. It's a good. Uh, the only reason I'm there is because it's spec trade, but I'm I'm on my kind of on my way out. Um, that's kind of a up in the air. But before we get to that, when you get out, so you got in in one. How old were you then, and what was the reason for joining? So I got in through uh, the I think in 2000 and 2001, the government was trying to uh, balloon the numbers up a bit. So they to to do that they drew from the reserves. So um, I did my basic in Petawawa. Uh, and then before that, I'd done a co-op program through, through the reserve unit. Kind how, old, of, how old were you? So it would have been 17 or 18 with the parents' permission, one of those deals. And then you end up going to Petawawa to do your basic? The following summer, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, um, like Reg Force basic? No. So it was, uh, it was still a reserve basic training. Um, it was basically what they used to do and what they still do, I think, is they send everybody to Meaford, right? For your summer uh, QL3 infantry or whatever it's called, DP whatever now. DP1, uh, yeah. Yeah, so what I went through, it was QL2, QL3 okay. kind of setup. And uh, they didn't have enough mod tents or whatever in, in Meaford infrastructure or maybe a staff. And so they sent us to PET. And it was basically uh, one RCR. They pulled guys that had summer block leave coming up and said, instead, you're going to go over and train these. Uh, so they were real happy to meet Oh, you. yeah, yeah. So I had some really good times there, though. And uh, as, the, as it happens, uh, my section commander kind of, he ended up going to Bosnia. I went to Bosnia in 2003, and uh, he was there as a... Uh, you know, infantry master corporal, I think at the time, or maybe he was a sergeant by then. And then he was on 306 with me in Afghanistan. So it's this weird thing where this militia kid is uh, 
jumping in all the tours and showing up and waving, you know. Hey, That's, guys. <laughs> so in 01, you get through your basic. You do your whatever it is then, your infantry training that same year too, or? Yeah, uh, so it started out, you did your QL2. So I guess that would be BMQ, learn how to drill and uh, marching and that kind of thing, basic weapons handling. And then the summer is your QL3, your, basically your battle school. Mm. And then I came back and uh, rolled right into uh, the machine gunner course. And then if you went to, you said Bosnia after? Yeah, uh, 2002, there was, uh, I think there were some tours going to Afghanistan, but that was still like, the, the war had just kicked off or yep. whatever. And uh, so we were, the consolation prize is uh, we got to go to Bosnia for one of the teardown tours. and. Oh, you got teardown too, eh? Yeah. yeah. But it's, so it's nonstop Wait. training when you first get in pretty much. Yeah, I, I had some good early years of courses and um, soldiering and uh, learning. Uh, some really good uh, instructors teaching and uh, had some good times to learn what it was all about, which is the whole idea of the reserves, right? Yep. Hey, Mike, yep. I, I got to just jump in on this before we just go past it because I've noticed with guys when we talk about the Bosnia tour, mm -hmm. is guys got messed up on that tour. And did you see something like, because you've, done afghanistan and bosnia mm -hmm. was there, there an impact some, yeah something you noticed there no it was i think it was a good way for a young guy to get his feet wet in it was an operational theater i'm doing air quotes right now um but it was a very um slow tour it wasn't anything they were i think the the intent was uh cordon and search operations and weapons caches and it wasn't super fruitful they didn't um you know it was there was still a job to do and still a, a game to play so to speak but um there was optics to keep while you were tearing down yeah it was a, a dragoon battle group um they everybody was operating out of either platoon houses or whatever it was uh it was a good way to see the operational side because it technically was like i don't want to talk it down it's mm -hmm. an important uh job and i was proud to have done it but it was uh it was no afghanistan that's you were catching it at the end too in, what do you mean like the for bosnia bosnia like, like he was for teardown right so. yeah so it's finishing up yeah so i we lucked out we we ended up at a british camp uh, our tour got uh hacked basically in half as far as time went so um but we were on a a brick camp uh Banu luka and it was kind of cool because at first I think we thought it was kind of a kind of a shit go, but we ended up uh, kind of making the most of it. And the Brits like to have beers, and that's one <laughs> we thing like that to I have heard beers and, from, oh, yeah. from some guys on Bosnia that it was a lot more drinking than anything else. Yeah, yeah, I would say. Well, work up was a lot of drinking. We were in uh, the shacks and Petalol and. Um, how the times have changed. Yeah, I think Jackass had just come out, so oh, we would get drunk and like isn't it so hit weird each other. When you put time frames on things like that, like yeah. to think of Bosnia and Jackass for me, yeah. they aren't oh, the same okay, time. That's where, for some okay. reason, like you know what I mean? It's weird to <laughs> yeah. to line those two things together. Yeah. Um. So when you went to Bosnia, there was another thing that we've been talking about specifically about Bosnia <laughs> was passage of information. 
people nowadays, you have cell phones, computers, the internet, mm-hmm. everything's passed around. You can go do your own research if you want, if you were going to Bosnia, but what's happening right this minute. Back then, you couldn't. Like there was, it was a slow passage to get info. Did you guys have any info coming in about some of the stuff that had happened already? Yeah, so a lot of time was spent uh, in Bosnia and after uh, kind of nerding out and reading the paper and uh, up uh, Anaconda was happening. And I mean, by the time I got on the ground, in Afghanistan, I mean, books had already been written about some of the stuff that had happened early, early on in the war with the Americans and uh, Canadians supporting them, and uh, so it was kind of that sideline effect. Like, uh, like well, you know, you they say be careful what you wish for, right? So, women Bosnia wanting to be in Afghanistan and, and get into her, uh, but I would say communication as far as you know, we got the news you'd go to the the canada house uh, setup they had or the brit version they had their own uh nafi or something it was called and you would go there and grab yourself a bite to eat and there'd be BBC. was everything deep fried yeah uh, <laughs> there's a funny story where we were eating uh we get these they call them dutch snacks we relieved a dutch uh, platoon and at night, they would come, the cooks would bring us food because we would be working through the night. And uh, it was like deep fried fish. And it was like the last thing you would want to eat at like two in the morning, like just sink, like in your guts, deep fried, greasy. <laughs> and uh, we ate that for about half of our tour before uh, one of our master corporals, uh, Marty, went to the kitchen was like, what's with this deep fried food that we're getting? And they're like, oh, you can have whatever you want. That's just what the last guys ordered. So nobody had come in and said like, Canadians aren't aren't about their deep fried fish (laughs) in the middle of the night. So um, that was pretty funny. And then after that, it was sandwiches and bacon, bagels or whatever they had, right? Whatever we wanted. (laughs) So So uh, what year was that that you get back? So Uh, yeah, it'd be 2000 and early 2004 uh, I guess it was because we spent New Year's over there so it was I think we got home it was February ish so then if you're getting ready to go on 06 then you're right back to training again yeah so then it was in between the two would have been uh, exercises uh, the typical weekend warrior uh, stuff trying to so was it like weekend warrior stuff though because like when I think of doing a workup training to go to Afghanistan, that's no, that's a Class C contract. So, the way it worked for those real early tours is, uh, I think if they were going to take reserve guys, they would say you need some kind of. I think they said jump course was a prerequisite. So they basically wanted to get the best of the reserves on those early days, and there was very few numbers of reserve guys backfilling the reg force. Um, and I have a few buddies that went on those early uh kabul tours and they were you know it was the cream of the crop from reserve town right um and then as the war changed you know in the kandahar um i see i I don't really know before because i wasn't there um but i know that when our tour came down the pipe it was way more than just a handful of guys it was like a you know a few handfuls from each uh, reserve unit 
in the brigade. Um, and they all got sent to Petawawa. Uh, we got sent up there. How did you end up getting selected then out of the pool of guys from your unit? Uh, it was merit-based, so, um, so it was based on courses and performance. See, that, that was a nice thing about Afghanistan, too, for the reserves, I think, is that a lot of guys, that was a good carrot for them to, to come out because the reserves always have this constant struggle, or they did when I was there, of uh, fielding enough guys for an exercise. Um, sometimes you would have, you know, you'd show up and you're supposed to be a company and you're like a couple glorified platoons um, or you'd have more leadership there and then you'd have a lot of guys from another unit come in like backfill. So you could be a section of like, you could be a platoon with Argyle and Lincoln Wellen and Riley leadership and then the troops are kind of a mix mash of those. That's going to be hard to train and, and feel comfortable training with people too. Yeah, there's definitely all that like inner, I don't, I'm sure it's still the same, you know, inner unit politics and stuff, you know. Even just socially, like, you kind of, when you have your fire team partner, you have your fire team partner. You guys learn to work together in your routines and stuff. That's yeah. going to be hard if you never know who you're going to be with. Well, you're bringing up a good point because you've got all different types of people listening to this where you've got Reg Force guys going, I've been PPCLI with the same you know, section for three years. And, and, you know, and then you'll have reserves going, yeah, it could be a different person every weekend or, or every, every time you go away. So you're, you have to get, I guess, adaptable. Yeah. I think it makes, uh, at, at least for the lower levels, the private corporal types, it makes, um, you learn to kind of fit in. Um, so however you do that, just like a sports team, you know, you're playing pickup where, you know, you, you go out on the, the field or the pitch or the rink or whatever. And, well, I don't know you. We've never played hockey or rugby before with each other, but we've played independent of one another. So when everybody gets thrown in, it's easy. The hard part would be, I, I in my experience, leadership from the reserve world trying to match what a, you know, a reg force uh, master corporal sergeant warrant are doing day in and day out like it's their career right and it's for a lot of guys they're you know somewhere between hobby and uh you know a serious service club well with the reserves a lot of guys are in there to get their education paid for and stuff as well right like it's not so much i'm looking to go to war it's uh, there's another agenda attached to it sometimes yeah i think that those guys kind of get uh weeded out um you definitely have guys that are there for a stepping stone in a career or, yeah. or when I was there. I keep saying when I was there because I don't really know what it's... It could be completely different. Um, I don't... I mean, I talked to some good friends that I made on a fairly regular basis, uh, but a lot of those guys have moved on, so... Things are always changing. It's good to keep it in your perspective, too, because yeah, yeah. you don't want to sound misleading. Someone goes yeah. and joins the reserves based on what Mike says, and then all of a sudden Mike was a fucking liar. I, <laughs> I always kind of champion it. Like, even if even in the times I've become pretty embittered or whatever with my own shit I got going on, um, I always do say it's, uh, it is a good way to see. Um, I mean, there's guys out there, though, young kids that probably know what they want to do. They know they want to go be a pickly out west because their uncle was or whatever. And they know they're just not even going to stop at that reserve, you know, to test the waters. Mm -hmm. um, 
and then I've seen the other the other side of it where guys kind of get suckered into that like they would make they're, they're super switched on they'd make really good careers for themselves but they kind of get stuck in the reserves yeah where they're kind of got this city job that it maybe it just you know it's, it's a it's a big leap you know to, the fear of the unknown yeah for sure some people don't want to go live in Gagetown or Pet <laughs> yeah. or Shiloh or, yeah or you hear the stories of how hard battle school is and maybe you want yeah, to yeah. get your experience before you go there for sure so you end up getting told that you're going to end up on this tour so I'll go back actually did you volunteer you said it was merit based yes. do you have to make a point of saying I want to go to Afghanistan yeah I think what they did was uh, in in my unit because we had uh, um, two companies at the time uh, they had a, a form to fill out for tour for courses um, and basically that was kind of their way of making sure nobody didn't get an opportunity. They wanted it to be everybody gets a crack at it and then we'll decide based on the merit and then that's where, you know, whatever politics. So that, that comes down the chain for this specific tour or is that just in general? Like once a year they're doing their cycles and this is a form that you fill out? Yeah, so some loud guys like myself would just fill out the form every time I seen the form. Mm-hmm. And I would say, I want to go overseas, I want to go overseas. Okay. And then eventually somebody somewhere will, you know, um, vouch for me. Really and I think there was a few of us, uh, my buddy Joe uh, and I, who ended up in the battle group. Because then there was different positions too. So I don't yeah. know how it all, it was kind of above my... Uh, understanding of how it all worked. Yeah, and you probably didn't care at that point. Eh? It's like, yeah. okay, I'm going, beauty. Where am yeah. I going? Let's go. My ego would have me think, oh, I'm getting the crack because I'm the best, but really it was probably a dartboard in the, uh, well, the CEO's office or something. <laughs> like my situation's kind of the same. It was merit-based. There was 30 of us, and they ranked us. Yeah. And it was, I think, the only reason. I used to be a good soldier. If you talk to anyone that knew me post-Afghanistan, I was a piece of shit. But before that, I like I wouldn't go when you get to a range and you're setting up tents and shit. I wasn't the guy that was smoking, watching people set up. Yeah. I was the first guy going and setting up because I knew fucker. that they're watching. What? You weren't a buddy fucker. If it meant to go into Afghanistan, I would have buddy fucked you. <laughs> I'm like, look, he's, I'm looking at me. I'm doing all the work. Fuck yeah. him. No, I'm joking. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's. Uh, I'm def- sure that's a part of it. If you sure. were a reserve guy on uh, 306, I would guess that you. There was nobody that got told they were going, that's for sure. It was all voluntary. And that's um, the other kind of misconception. Or when I walked into uh, the battalion lines, I had this kind of these horror stories from guys that had been back in the day going, oh, they're just going to eat you. You're just a bunch of tunes and they're going to. Uh, and I never <laughs> felt um, that that was the case. They worked as hard. And there was a lot to, like, we were so busy, and... I would feel like it almost felt like a relief. Like, there's extra bodies. Like, if you look at where Afghanistan was going, it was probably like, we could use this help. I think, I think that's probably, in my experience, probably 90%. And the only, the vocal 10%, they were all kind of idiots within the battalion anyways. Yeah, just I only crusty. had one or two interactions where I was like... Um, kind of you know felt like oh this is that moment where i'm gonna get uh into a scrap with this guy i was that guy that i'm going and he's not i was i was that guy post afghanistan i'm not gonna lie i was crusty as fuck when reserves came but before mike here's what's going through my mind so now you're going 
you're on you're on the list to go. You're going to yeah. go in August of 2006. Yeah. Except as this is leading up, this is Afghanistan's different than it was in 05 and 04. There's now reports coming back that there's a lot of yeah, battles I, happening. I would say that that change was happening often enough that it was even happening on the ground when we got there. So, I mean, we would get some bulk of news would be coming through. It would be casualties. And we're in Petawawa, you know, it's still snowing and we're doing winter warfare type stuff just to get in with the, the, the swing of things in the battalion and how they operate uh, and working with the labs, never worked with them before. And then as that's happening, it's like you're getting, you know, it's cliche or whatever, but the reports from the front line. And I think that every tour that goes does that. They're sitting there reading the paper because they know they're going. So they're just hyper-focused on, okay, this group of guys got killed. This is the circumstance, you know, and try not to psych yourself out. Um, can, can you take us through that experience of, like, when you find out you're going to getting to battalion, doing your workup, what was, the, like, I could only imagine what that feeling's like. How many of you went? Like, that's got to be so such a unique experience. Yeah, so within the battle group, there was, I think, four of us from my unit. And then there was other people that were gone, gone over on the same tour, but they were doing a uh, NSE. So the convoy guys, uh, they, they were a different, I think, different headquarters. They were, they were ran out of CAF. There's NSE. I can't remember. Out of the four guys, are you one of the four? Yeah, so it was... uh, Three other guys. Yeah, me, my buddy Joe, we were both in Bravo Company. Uh, Another guy went to Charles, but I don't think he ended up going over with Charles. I think he ended up going in a different capacity. Um, So maybe it was just the three of us that ended up finally on the ground. So... Um, when you're even in the same company, it doesn't mean that you're in the same platoon. No, I was in... No, my friend Joe, for those... Who, it's Joe Smith from the Lincoln Welland Regiment. And Joe Smith, what a great name, eh? That's yeah. yeah. That's, you tell the cops, my name's Joe Smith, they don't believe you. Well, that's a different story. Um, he's, uh, we went to Bosnia together, too. Uh, me and Joe are real tight. Uh, that must have felt like We're not sense. tight anymore. Like I've, I hardly talk to him, but he's, there's, a, there's a handful of guys, Reg Reserve, who, you know, they showed up on your doorstep needing a place to crash or said, I need a hundred bucks. You can't ask for what, or help me bury this body or whatever. <laughs> they're, they're that tight. Yeah. yeah, that's, we have a few of those guys too. We share some of those guys here and I. <laughs> yeah. And so, so Joe is, uh, and he's, uh, uh, he's, he's the best. He's a character. He's, uh, you know, I'm not going to turn it into a big, uh, blow smoke up his ass. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> So you guys yeah. end up, at least you're going with someone. <clears throat> and then if you guys, did he end up in your sister platoon or did he, like? Uh, yeah, he ended up in, uh, we were five, I think he was six platoon and Bravo. And so you're still like, you're on your own. Lots much. on workup. We've seen each other lots because you're in the same company lines, right? Um, overseas. I think I seen him on a handful of occasions. And sometimes that was a matter of his section commander, Kenny saying, Hey, we're going to see, uh, Two, two, so hop in the lab and because he knew Mike 
uh, Mike's there. We'll go say hi to him. Mm -hmm. And then the other way around, if we ever had to do some kind of link up with uh, Strong Point Center, well, they let the tunes hang out. They would. They would let us go and they would let us run around out in the yard and <laughs> How nice. like dogs. <laughs> so you're in in Bravo, yes. Bravo Company. Is that which one's Crazy Eights? That's Charles. Charles. So yeah, I'll, I'll put it out there right now. I wasn't uh, at Objective Rugby, and I wasn't in the Friendly Fire. There was a there was a whole operation that happened, and I like I said earlier, I'm not I'm not far from the expert. Buff. It's a yeah. it's a weird blur. And I look at pictures and go, I was there because that's me in the picture, but I can't remember taking it, and I don't remember sleeping there. I want to go back before he gets out. Yeah, okay. anyways. I, 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 yeah. I'm just putting it there. Before. He loves all that stuff. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah. okay, so did you guys still do, like, Wainwright, Texas? Yeah. Uh, no Texas. No Texas. So it was uh, big exercise in Pet when we got there in January. Snowshoes, laughs. Any great stories from that? Uh, no, I think, it, I think if I had to say one thing about uh, workup just in general, it was a real... Uh, it was humbling. I wasn't the, nor am I today, the, the fittest guy in the world. And there's guys that you would look at. I remember looking at, and this isn't to disparage my warrant. Somehow, I've, I haven't seen the guy in years. But I'm pucker just going to bring up a story of him. But he doesn't appear to be a runner in the nicest way possible. The man can fucking Fuck run. And I remember being on work up and go, and then like, being in my reserve unit going yeah you're gonna have to run so you know like and i'm running 5ks like nobody's business and then get up there and the platoon commander taking us for like an 8k run and going holy fuck like i got a nice wainwright 8k run too no this would still be in pet and it would oh. it was that weird uh like frostbite cold weather and you're where your lungs hurt yeah yeah it's so cold Stamped. and you're trying to huff air through your ass and so Imagine that you get back from your 8K and then the warrant, who you don't think is a, a, a runner's build, is like, all right, guys, we're going back out. And, the, you know, he would take guys back out. And, I, and then I even ended up on like a remedial running program. And at the time I was like, you know, it was scary. You're still fighting for your position, right? And I remember going for these, you know, you go for 8, 12, 14k run in the morning with the, the platoon and then at four o'clock you get told okay or three o'clock you get told meet four o'clock just off base uh, anybody knows petawawa we meet like petawawa park by yogis there and then the warrant would take us for like another run like not nothing crazy Motherfucker, but just sad. running us into the ground <laughs> uh i got a stress fracture that i it almost kept me from going on tour, uh, but I had this, uh, when I finally got, went in to get a bone scan, I think we were doing like pistol range on the Anzio, and I had to leave for a day to go to Ottawa, to Chio, to get a bone scan. And I was there, I was in, like we were in tans and everything, like we were getting ready to go. And uh, I remember telling the, the, the nurse lady, I gave her some sob story, you know, as a corporal, she doesn't know. She, just sees the uniform and being like you know put this to the bottom of the pile you know i got i gave her some like the guys are relying on me no i'm just the corporal in the section but um you were determined to go oh yeah and uh i remember my mom called me we were in pet next day buses were leaving to trenton to go to fly out and my mom's like somebody called from 
you know, the health services unit in Petawawa. And I was like, oh, I tell them I'll call them right back. And then I, I just ducked them and went on the plane. And <laughs> You're getting charged when you get back to Trenton. <laughs> well, after, after hearing some of the stories and the, like, how quickly guys were going from basic on the one, I don't know if it was a podcast with your, your mom there. Yeah, that was like, me. <laughs> just, yeah, like, there's no way they're going to send him. He'll have, like, getting pistol courses while you're, like... Yeah, I never the fired ground. the pistol before I was in Afghanistan. I can't hurt airfield firing the pistol. So here I am thinking a stress fracture is probably going to keep me from tour. Meanwhile, the situation was probably, who cares? If, you know. That's a little bit different, though, because it's medical. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. I, yeah, my situation, I feel like, is a little bit of a not an anomaly. Holy fuck, I could barely spit that out. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so you end up going... What is your experience going from Pet to Trenton? Like, that's got to be it. You're just on, like, a coach bus? Or are you on a school bus? Or what? Do they treat you nice? Yeah, it's, uh... No, it was a coach bus down. Um, that's nice of them. It was, uh... You know, you go, you do your work up, and then I think we had uh, three weeks or so of leave. Oh, that's all right. And then, so go back to Pet. Your, I think some of your baggage has already gone up ahead. Um, UAV or whatever they called it. So yeah, you put you send like boxes. your barracks box and shit like that. Yep. Yeah. So you, uh, I know my folks came to Trenton to see, like a lot of guys who live in Pet whose families are all there. That's their goodbye point. So we're at the uh, uh, Parade Square at One RCR, and guys are hugging their wives and kissing their kids goodbye. And then my parents, because I'm from Niagara, so uh, and I think probably Joe's parents too. I uh, can't remember. Came to Trenton to see us off, and um, yeah, that was uh, that was rough. <laughs> How old were you then? Uh, I can't do that math. I'd do it myself. But oh, 20 the wires are fried Which right now. Eighty-three. Yeah, twenty-three. Let's go, finance yeah. guy. Twenty-three. You're twenty-three. Sounds about right. Three. That's <laughs> so what? Well, then, how old were uh, you in Bosnia? You're only nineteen. Yeah, both of so you're, you're it's pretty young. Tour, second tour, 23, yeah. and you're going into a big shit show. So you end up landing in CAF while you go to, I'm assuming, Cyprus. Uh, no, we flew in through Mirage, was still a thing. Or Dubai, I mean. Yeah, Cyprus. Yes. My bad. And then, um, yeah, we got to, uh, well, I'll, I'll back up because when we were in Wainwright, it was the mission for us as it was explained, was that you had Kabul and Kandahar, and then around the halfway point, they wanted to have a foot on the ground. It was some kind of agreement up high with, between Canada and the Dutch. And the Dutch were going to bring supplies down the highway to Kaf from Kabul, but they wanted a safe area to stop. So going into Afghanistan, as far as we knew, at that point was we were going to be at a fob in the mountains and we were going to act as a truck stop for the Dutch. And then we were going to patrol the mountains and be, that was our foot on the ground, which was kind of exciting. Uh, mountain type ops and yeah, you're getting a little bit of both worlds that way, right? Yeah. It's, it's like a, you know, kind of a, more of a, a light infantry kind of role. And, and, we did go there. It was called Fob Martello. It overlooked a town. Uh, Elbak was the name of the town. 
And for the first, I would say, well, almost all of August, we were there uh, patrolling the mountains and the village. All foot patrols? Uh, yeah, we'd have like the the lab would come a certain point. We had to go to a market once for some stuff. Can't I don't know if that was before or after September, but um, that was the plan. I remember being in Wainwright, and that's our OC telling us this is kind of what we figure the tour is going to be. And then there's going to be another group from Charles are going to be in Spinboldak. Um, and then there was going to be people at Nathan Smith, I think. It was kind of this idea of what the tour was going to be. But on the news, it was the Patricia's going in Panjway, getting into firefights, uh, you know, like stuff Canada hadn't seen for quite some time. And then when we got on the ground, so now we, we land at CAF. Um, you know, there's that shakeout that happens when you get there. You get a couple days. Helmet uh, cover gets issued to you. you know. Yeah, and you get a couple days to acclimatize and address Are, are you doing, ri- like, James Polly, past guest, was talking about doing rips where guys. That's the are, same thing, yeah. Right. So you're going into. Uh, yeah, so again, as a corporal, not as heavily involved in that process of handing off your your lav to the rcr guys coming in showing your area of operation all that stuff so yeah like my first time out was my first time out it wasn't like go for a ride with the patricia guys you're taking over from our section commanders and two ic's uh that's why they did they did that they yeah it's all staggered so you would have been with a big chunk coming in and right yeah so not everyone at first goes like yeah you get your yeah it's spaced over weeks because if you think about it you got to fly everybody we only have so many planes and um and you need that transition piece as well to this is and it's also for to break it down even more in different communities the elders will only trust who they become accustomed to so if one day you're going and having sit down meetings with this elderly guy and then all of a sudden it's where did that guy go and it's no different than if someone invaded here or not invaded however you want to word it uh, then it's you need that um, rapport, right? So it's that whole transition piece as well. Yeah, you can't show up in the village, you know, as a you Did know. You hey, you <laughs> <laughs> where's the? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I could imagine the the elders in the village would be like, well, "I was dealing with this guy from Brandon, Manitoba, and yeah, now exactly. I got this newfie guy talks completely different. What's going on?" <laughs> Um, but I wasn't a big part of that obviously it's uh, like that's a section commander platoon commander warrants and stuff Uh, and I believe they were in comms in some ways with the people we would be replacing back in Canada so uh, somebody was like hey drop a line to this warrant from one RCR he's coming to replace you in a couple of months so we would get these like real point form from like there's the newspaper front line that we're all reading, you know, the Globe and Mail or whatever. Very generic. And then there would be like the noble uh, piece of full scap that would just be, you know, don't bother. I can't even remember some of the tips and things. They were, they were telling us right when we were still back in Canada. And that's when all the PT from my platoon warrant, my platoon commander really made sense. Because they were saying there's... A direct correlation between guys that get hit who are cardio machines and survivability so i think that was the one little thing in our universe that our leadership could control so we'll break just that, run break that down break that down even further for 
non-smart folk like myself. I would be like COVID, right? <laughs> the the fitter you are, they say, the yeah. the probability. Just like anything in life, right? If you get into uh, a situation, I think when you're you're bleeding, like I I know a few guys that got very uh, like super injured, like amputee style on tour, and they were machines um, back home. They were hockey playing fit dudes. So not to say that it didn't fucking surely affected them. I was more thinking even to the point of, I know our sister platoon got hit when someone stopped. The whole patrol stopped because one person was pretty much gassed out. And yeah, it was yeah. like, oh, vulnerable time, vulnerable point. Oh, yeah. And then attack now. Yeah, um, I would say that's an e- probably was an equal thought going through their But head. if you break down the, the PT that we do here compared to how you operate over there, you're walking methodical and taking your time because you're looking at everything. Yeah. It's kind of like, why the fuck did we just bag run for... Yeah. I, I, I think for me it was like getting used to the running. It would be run, rock, run every other day. Yeah. And then I think Friday was sports, which was still running because you'd play ball hockey, right? Yeah. High impact, you know, really good for the stress fracture. <laughs> I remember being PT'd when we were in Wainwright. Um so, in fact, after Wainwright, before we deployed, I remember going for a run and just being like, I look like Terry Fox, like hobbling. And my warrant's being like, okay, stop. And I'm like, no, no, I'm okay. And he's like, we're past that. You're going. Don't worry. You're safe. Stop. I don't want you to be hurt. Yeah, and, be, uh, be healthy getting there. Yeah, he was... Uh, I guess like fight or flight too is a big one. If you can... If your body is used to getting up to that high adrenaline point, then you're yeah. you're accustomed to operating your body and still maintaining control. But I know guys in different platoons that weren't going through the same thing we were going through. And oh, being no? super envious and going, oh, fuck, really? Uh... <laughs> so, Mike, you're, you do in the beginning go to Fab Martello? Yes. So yeah. you're, you are patrolling in the mountains? Yeah, the like, first time we ever got any kind of contact or it was... It was a good dipping your foot in the pool. It was not Panjway by any stretch. Uh, I mean, to say it was uh, relatively quiet. Um, there was a you know an IED and an attack on some trucks just outside of our effective reach and our reaction time to get there. So there was stuff happening really close, but just far enough away because uh, you know spoiler alert the, the taliban are they're good like the they're not this is all they do yeah yeah well and if you're not good you're gonna die so yeah, yeah. so they they're they're not dumb they know uh you know they're not gonna pull anything within effective range of the labs uh so basically martello was like a bowl uh had hesco it was a fob it actually were you guys up on a mountain i would assume or there were ops on the mountain so you guys were at the bottom so no when we were on the ops we were up high looking out with the kind of like a bowl going back to the fob in the middle oh okay so like the the guns so Mm -hmm. we had some mortars at some point and then we had one five five depending on what was going on i'm like picturing restrepo right now no well maybe in the ops yeah it would have that kind of vibe like being in the op was like um it was I mean, I don't, I don't even compare it to... You ever watch the old Vietnam movies where they're, like, sandbagging? 
yeah. no shirts, yeah. you know, like living like savages. Yeah. That's kind of what it was like. So it was, yeah, I liked being at Martello. I liked, uh, it was, it was beautiful, like picturesque. Well, and Sunset. Restrepo too. They say the same thing. If it wasn't such a shithole, I'd bring my family here skiing and snowboarding. Oh sure. yeah, like imagine a day where we could all go back. I would, I would I go as a that. tourist. I say that all the time. I'd as walk. Well. Uh, I was talking about it with my brother-in-law there. I was like, man, that would be cool if it got to a point one day where your head's not going to get cut off. It'd yeah. be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you so like, what's the experience like doing patrols for the mountains? Because I'm sure that people have this their own vision, and I have my own too. But I've never done it, so I don't know. A bag drive was it? Like, yeah. were you guys keeping fast pace, and what yeah. were you and what what were you carrying when you were? Well, when anytime, anywhere, the Canadians carry too much, I think. <laughs> but you have to double so front line, and then were you C seven? Uh, yeah. So when I was in Martello, I was a rifleman. Mm. Maybe I was 203 at some point, too, there. I was 203 when we were in the beginning of Medusa. Then I was a C6 gunner when the C6 gunner went on HLTA, which would have been, like, the That's second half of Medusa. And, yeah, it, but we also had more lav support, and it was uh, a bit slower pace. Anyways, there's... But in the mountains, there, it was a bad drive. E, oh, yeah, yeah. Really, eh? That sucks. <laughs> so what was... <laughs> no, it was... Uh, in a good kind of way, I th I think uh, that's got to be a unique we, experience. Not every like there's a lot of guys that definitely never left the wire going into the mountains. Yeah, there was a couple really high features that I there was one that I didn't get to go to where there was like this Joshua tree, and uh, it was like a big thing to send a I think it was a section plus. Uh, I know the warrant was there, and uh, um, they went up to it. we could see them go to it from the OP. Um, yeah, it was uh, we we got rocket. I, I think we got rocketed once when we were there. Maybe it was the Dutch after we left. I don't remember being overly. This is before Medusa. I don't remember being like overly scared about anything or on edge or. Uh, Given the situation, it felt like it. The OPs were in the right place. It wasn't like it was yeah. well established before you got there, kind of thing. And we were all kind of on the same. I think everybody trusted one another too. Like we had. Uh, You'd have your guys at the C6 position. You'd have the optics from the lab. Then you'd have guys roving, like shotguns within your... Like, basically, the OP is its own camp yeah. with its own Constantino wire fence. And you're just your own little castle oh, uh, up on the mountaintop. That's um, got to feel a little bit weird. Yeah, I, I mean... I guess not in the moment. Like, that's the thing. Looking back... There's definitely definitely things that if I really think about it, I'm like that. It's yeah, that's super weird. That people probably would never understand, but in the moment was so normal. Yeah, you start to get you get real desensitized real quick, right? Yeah. No, I don't want to say complacent because I remember like not wanting to fall asleep, like not just like on an exercise, like oh, I don't want the sergeant to be mad, yeah. like. If I, I cannot fall asleep. Like this is. I might die, and everyone else might too. Yeah, yeah. Somebody oh, you mean like on the two to four shift? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> Sitting on the radio. Yeah, oh yeah. god. <laughs> the the humming of the optics, you know, that warm little light that you get lost in. But that was good times. So then you ended up there, but then you get word that there's going to be an operation kicking off. I guess. I I I think a lot of people think that, and I think at some level. That was happening. I'm sure there was a sand table. I'm sure there was <laughs> intel guys that were 
doing their job. There was human guys doing their job. There was, I think there was a lot of moving pieces, but I can tell you from my perspective alone, as being a guy on the ground, it was, I, not a complaint really. I think at one point it was like a big, I had a chip on my shoulder about it, but it was kind of like, I knew the operation was happening when the, like the ramp went down and they were like, okay, this is what's going on, go here. And I'm like, where's North? Where's this? Like, what do we, you know, where's our uh, RV en route? Uh, what's going on? Like, and no orders, no, like, you know, battle procedure was just kind of like, well, you're already in, you're already ready to go. Your ammo's already good to go. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. No, no uh, rehearsals. Yeah, exactly. There yeah. was no, uh, <laughs> at least not from Bravo's perspective. And I don't know if it was different from Charles. I, I can't speak to, uh, to their preparedness. Um, you know, so was I, it literally like okay, ramp down, no, go over this Alt Medusa now, <laughs> and go kick in that door? Yeah, I can't even remember what the first time I knew that was the name of it or or whatever. But uh, it wasn't quite like that. No, it was. Uh, was there any big shift? Like, did you? Yeah, feel well, when, yeah. basically the the big shift for the company I was in was when uh, Charles had their uh, issues at the objective uh, crossing the Argandab. Uh, their casualties from the friendly fire plus their casualties on the ground the ambush that like that's kind of like the well-recorded history this is where mark graham gets killed by friendly that would have been the friendly fire yeah the, the garbage like i heard all that on the radio uh and that was which kind of puts it in perspective because like you're in that battle group but yeah, you're friend, not right in that spot i had good friends uh, my roommate from workup training um a couple other guys that got injured. Some went home. Obviously, uh, Graham went home, uh, killed. Yeah. But so, I had buddies that also had good friends in Charles. So, but we had reserve guys that we were friend. Like it was. I think everybody was in the same boat. Like, you know, I don't know who's hurt, but I hope it's not this guy that I'm real tight with. Yeah. You know, you don't want it to be anybody. Um, but I've talked about that before too, though. Where so wait, people are listening, going, "What? What are they talking about?" So after there was a big attack, there was a second. Yeah, attack. Yeah, you want to go through like, each one from your perspective? If yeah, you're our okay pers- with that? our perspective was it was basically business as usual. There was a. Do you remember where you were? Yeah, I was uh, along the highway up near. Do you know where Wilson is? Yeah, I spent time there. Okay, yeah. so you got the highway that runs in front of Wilson. Bravo Company was the block. So our platoons were spaced out, basically at the edge of where each other's optics could reach with our labs. Uh, we ended up getting attacked out there. Uh, um, we ended up taking casualties out there. But um, we were the block, and then the idea was that Charles crossed the Argandab and pushed through Panjway towards Wilson. So for people, for context or perspective, um, I've explained it to... Uh, my wife before but basically you've got the escarpment that runs here in Niagara right and then you've got the QE that runs along the lake so we were essentially at the QE facing Massamgar facing the escarpment with the instead of Lake Ontario behind us it was the desert and Wilson so our our six was kind of covered just because it was so open and our optics could see forever and I think they had coyotes looking you know plus uh, vehicle checkpoints coming down the highway. And then the idea was they would cross from the high feature at Massengar 
down across towards us and we were a blocking position so we would just sit and wait kind of and skirt out yeah and then on the flanks i think uh the patricias were on the uh would have been our left flank uh facing massamgar and i think the 10th mountain plus some u.s special forces they were basically running ambushes in the wadi and it was basically to box in panjway uh, prior to all this, there's all the leaflet droppings, which is go ahead and explain that because some people don't won't believe you when you explain that. Yeah, so I, I and and I didn't know about this part of the operation until I found the pamphlet. You know, just like leaves collecting like a corner of your yard at a fence. I'm like, oh, there's pamphlets with a little picture of uh, you know, it'd be an Afghan family, their hands up, everything's okay. And then there'd be another one where if you're holding a gun and there's like literally a, a illustration of an A-10. So it's basically, if you're here and you got weapons, you're dead. the planes are going to get you. So, and then whatever it said in the, the local Pashtun or whatever. Uh, I think there was a curfew on it too, wasn't there? Yeah, it was basically the, the modern day version of uh, the worst is yet to come you know the devil's brigade type stuff right telling people the fight's gonna happen here yeah and if you're here you're you know there's a chance that you could become like it was the the canadian the most canadian thing we could do be like hey uh we're gonna have a fight here eh? if you don't mind <laughs> leaving for a few months we're real sorry <laughs> but that's kind of i think that's my perspective of how i remember it kind of going down Jesus. and the place was a, a relative ghost town except for Whoever, uh, whatever Taliban fighters were left. So, yeah. So, that, and, and that distance from... That's so a I'm, great description, by the way. Like, I really, that's the best way I've heard it explained. Well, it's easy for somebody maybe in Grimsby to understand. Yeah, from, if you're from this But area, there's probably yeah. some guy in the East Coast going, you know... Give me a... Could you use the Bay of Fundy for yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, all it is, uh, like, it's a north and a south. And then they blocked in that yeah. whole area. But, um, I, but, it, but it's almost the same distance i've looked at it and it's almost that weird oh, okay. the distance from the highway to the base of the mountain i was gonna say it's not that far it's it's not far so like i remember thinking like we've covered so much ground like after the big shift in momentum was to us and doing these like compound clearing dig in not really dig in but like you know set up an op you know nightfall you have roving guys you know we have the lav set up air cover you know like it was a big that was the moment like i mean martello in the north in the fob in the mountains was kind of like oh i'm in afghanistan like this is this is that in panjway was like there was guys that have been on multiple tours they've been in you know 20 30 years racks of metals and they i remember my section commander and other guys being like boys i've done a lot according to my mprr which is a for the cities is like your military resume but nothing like this and it was actually uh i think it was a bit of a separator i think at that the tour before us probably and that tour and probably the tour after was kind of like Hey, if you were just trying to get your best five for your pension and you're just kind of sticking it out, even though your ankles fused or whatever, maybe it's a good time to pass the torch on. And, um, we had some guys in, uh, higher up in leadership that, 
I don't know the whole story, so I can't speak to it. <laughs> yeah. But our CQ, our company quartermaster, uh, Boyd, Boyd. You may not want to say names. I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. What? Anyways, it's a good thing he became okay. our. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, our CQ became our CSM. Okay. So during Medusa, he was him and uh, one of the master corporals who was actually an instructor on my basic in the Mattawa, were delivering ammo and rations and water in a gator. So they would bomb down uncleared routes in, with an MMVG for the driver. And then a, yeah, and then a C9 or a machine gun on, like, on the hood of the gator. And they'd come, boot, not at nighttime, but like last light. And they'd be like, they'd turn, one guy would turn and just push all, like an ad rep when you're on course. And you get the garbage bag with your glow sticks and foot powder or whatever, but it was pretty well ammo and beans and bullets and deliver it. So when he became the CSM, at least in my perspective, there was no, you know, you got that learning that how can we test the waters with the new CSM? How is he going to be? What's he like? It was like, oh, he's the CSM. He's going to enforce some dumb RCR rule. Cool. Whatever he says, he's proven his, uh, you know, all of our leadership, like, I mean, um, aside from like the, all the negative stuff that did happen on tour and there was lots of heartache and that for me, I seen this really, I was like an outsider looking in and it was a really cool thing to see why crusty warrants are the way they are, why there's a, uh, a leader and a two IC, why there's why all these things that you do and all that silliness that you think it's silliness back in Canada and when you only got to work up and why are we doing this in snowshoes and it all kind of I, I think it all really proved to uh, show what it's all about and I'm very lucky and fortunate to have got to experience it so, so how many times did you see maybe like lower rank guys are just like that's unbelievable leadership or just in situations you're like wow um so yeah oh i was just gonna say to back up to you you spoke about the gator thing uh <laughs> and this is we started this podcast for a lot of it, it's about remembrance and the 158 today is august 31st yesterday being the 30th uh it's, it's ironic that you bring up the gator corporal uh brian pinkson passed away uh on a gator hit by an ID, doing the same thing, going in between doing supplies, and uh, Grant Miller, who's a friend of mine that we golf with and stuff, was he survived that, but, um, so it's his alive day, and anyways, it was just, you brought up the Gator thing, and I was like, shit, that was just yesterday, so. Yeah, <clears throat> August 30th. Yeah, that was 2000, I want to say 10. Yeah, sometimes you got to do with the kit, like I remember before we got there, the big controversy in the news was the G-Wagons, you know, being yeah. so small, and yeah, shit. That was like you got to do what you got to do, and in some cases that means driving a John Deere Gator uh, built in Welland, Ontario, through yeah. like it's the most uh, you know the most red green military going sometimes. <laughs> but even know. special op U.S. special ops are using Gators. I oh, mean, sure, I yeah. saw it the Brits doing it over in yeah. Afghanistan too. Yeah, if you see how the Brits roll around, like you're the in Brits your lab. are badass. You're in your lab. You're pretty buttoned up your own you know small their tank vehicles, right their those vehicles guys are fiberglass yeah they have those uh i don't know what they're not called shitting you. they, look and they like hang on the side with the shorts on and their sleeves oh, well yeah it's like a big version of one of those side-by-sides like, eh yeah and they've got all their uh 
blast blankets like just hanging and they sit on the sides of them and shit just yeah. like dangling around with their shorts on and, and their little tiny <laughs> ballistic plates that's like the size of uh, you know a small people. ipad <laughs> we had we had a we had our one of our officers went to hellmond and was doing and hellmond for people who don't know there's every time you left from what i understand i wasn't there this is what i was told every time you left you were either going to hit an id on the way out or you're hitting one on the way back in your patrol was hitting an ID. They were never big enough because they didn't have enough time to go put a big one in, but it would just fuck with your logistics. So our one of our officers went and he came back and he was telling us about his time with the Brits and Hellman. And he was he got into their vehicle and they all start taking off all their gear. And he's like, like, why are you guys taking it off? We never take our gear off ever. As soon as you're outside the wire, you never take it off. And then he's like, he knocks on the floor and he's like, fiberglass, man. If we get hit, we're all gonna die. <laughs> it's just like, well be comfortable. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, there's some perspective for you. It was, they're rolling around much different than we were. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I remember them coming by Wilson and stopping for whatever. I don't know if they had mechanical issues, but they had uh, whatever their Lynx or Gazelle, whatever their helicopter is, a really fast one, was with them for their road move. So as they're bombing down the highway, they'd have this like little zippy helicopter just like running all over the place, like ready to engage you yeah. know, they, they make themselves a pretty uh hard target to engage yeah it's pretty cool uh, um, but it's not the brits podcast we'll get back to you <laughs> yeah. Yeah. when you talk about doing having the the street it's like a stranglehold really is what you guys were creating right yeah i think the, that was the plan yeah so then when they pushed through was there any big things that started kicking off that you remember um i just remember a lot of a lot of compound clearing and a lot of waiting, but not in like that, like, oh, we're just going to sit down and... Yeah, when you explained it, it seemed like you guys were kind of waiting there stagnant while Charles pushed through to you guys. Yeah, I think I'm... the analogy in the books is uh, they were the hammer, we were the anvil. Yeah, think, but I'm know, sure you guys weren't... I read that in. I'm sure you guys weren't literally just sitting there waiting for them to come to you. No, we got attacked... Um, uh, so our platoon had a. Um, we actually, I think we lucked out, even though we some guys had got injured and sent home. Um, but we were along the highway, and I don't know the exact. I have an idea of how it all went down, but basically, at some point, the the word came down through lessons learned or whatever that uh, so in the lab you have two uploads. You're frange and he one's primary one's secondary of the 25 ammo and one you carry a bunch of and the other one you don't use as much and whatever happened somebody was like what we thought was the case we want you to switch your uploads from one to the other and so we'd been sitting out there in the desert with our labs in our platoon and in our company with our cannons traversing left to right all the time and you would have a guy with the binos and it would stop and then it would move again. So if you're on the other side of that, you're the Taliban looking at us, you would see the silhouettes of our labs and you would see us watching our arcs. And then on this particular day, they watched all of our labs stop as if they're not like whatever they were thinking, like, oh, their batteries must be dead or they're, they're not sure. traversing left and right. Something broke. They're just, <laughs> they're all frozen. And... I was at Wilson. We were doing a, like a refit. Uh, I was in company or a platoon headquarters lav. 
and I think the platoon commander was in getting orders, talking to the OC or doing whatever they do, and we were putting diesel in the Jerry's and grabbing water, throwing our garbage out, whatever. We we would run back to Wilson one lab at a time to kind of do this, and it was like that witching hour. Uh, the the sun was going down, so loudspeakers or prayer and all that shit. Or? No, just there was not a huge population to. I don't think they. Were, I think church was canceled for the oh, September time yeah. frame. Makes sense. Those, uh, those flyers said fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure they did their thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I remember being in there and just i think we had all our stuff so i was just sitting in the air century hatch and i had the uh the headset just to my ear and i heard my platoon get contact i heard the over the radio uh and i knew the platoon commander who generally listened to the radio like he was always on the radio uh ran into the cp and was like your platoon's getting and he was hearing it too because he was in the cp and so we ran out to lav and to save the day and so you uh, saved the day <laughs> no, but like we wanted to get get yeah, there. Like those are, our, yeah, and when we course. got there, it was a bit of a fucking shit show. We had a uh, there was diesel all over the place because uh, so they had a I think it was an eighty two millimeter their version of a Carl G yeah. recoilless yeah, rifle. recoilless, and they had hit our labs while they were down. Uh, so some of the labs I think were able to fire their uh, cannons and some were so everybody has polax and pintle mount and you guys all switched your ammo at the same time i think that's how it went down i think I'm it was not an accident make any comments <laughs> no it was a hard fucking lesson to learn and i i have good friends that got um a buddy of mine he's a brockville rifle guy reserve guy he got shrapnel um wow, that's shit. Uh, buddy uh, barney got shrapnel in his butt uh, uh some other guys so to go back, you were asking about leadership. Uh, there was a um, this guy Hunt, who was a, I think he was a private, maybe even a no-hook private at the time, and he like jumped in headfirst, dove into the driver's seat. Not a lab driver, as far as I know, but we all learned how to do it in Wainwright, and you know how to turn it on in the night to charge the batteries or to up up and down the ramp, and he jumped in, fired the lav up so that they could put their casualties and whoever in the lab undercover and then get the ramp up. And I remember that was all going down as we got there. And it was just tracers from our lab firing into Panjway, into the tree lines. And uh, I remember getting on the ground and that their lab, I don't forget which section's lab that got hit, going down the road and all four wheels on the right side, they look like those sparklers. You, you nail to a, a telephone pole when you're a kid and they spin. That's what they look like because they were all running on the rims all the way back to Wilson. And then there was just diesel and fucking kit everywhere and bandages or whatever. It was uh, when we set up the C6 because uh, I was weapons dead at the time. Uh, me and Billy. And uh, yeah, it was... Uh, that was an intense, like, that was the first, any fire, any shooting that happened in Martello was, like, out of our effective range or the guns doing it for shooting us. Shooting this kind of thing. But this was right up front. Oh, this was, yeah, and I wasn't even there for the worst of it, so. How many uh, how many guys do you guys think there were attacking at that time? Do you know? I don't know. I, I know there, 
it's, it's a bit of a blur. So there was another attack that happened that got foiled. And uh, our lab driver, uh, Joey, actually ran. So it's a hard, I'm trying to remember 14 years ago, but um, there was a, from the same area, in kind of the similar circumstance, uh, but I don't think they got a shot off. And our labs were just like advanced, like close at, you know, 800 meters, like real quick. And we're on top of them. Um, and our lab driver actually knocked the wall over onto the guy. I think he'd already been uh, killed by an airburst. Um, so we had a artillery get called and there was, it was kind Did of- Did you guys have the artillery in Wilson at that point? No, it was, there was a gun camp way, way out in the desert. Like, cause those 155s can shoot so far. Yeah. Um, I think Wilson would have been too close. They wouldn't yeah, have been able sense, to- right? I'm gonna shoot straight, straight up in up air and have it come down. back down. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a nerdy guy. I have no idea. <laughs> no, I remember going. We had to go out there and escort uh, the Dutch artillery. They had like self-propelled. Fu guy or something. Well, we had to escort them after Medusa. They, that was like their. Uh, our work here is done. That was their agreement with the NATO, and uh, we had to drive them back to CAF. So I, that's the only time I got to see the gun camp. But it was pretty neat to see. It was a uh, looked like it was a bit dusty place to live and work well in wilson so when I got fucking there, out of they had four or five guns there like right beside okay. tents yeah 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 right on the one side of the camp that's the only reason i was asking mortars were there at some point when i was there i can't remember though wait so you know not everyone's involved in this like you you come under contact and the lab actually advances to where that person was that like the taliban was so yeah you're like face to face with the enemy yeah yeah like there's a body there half covered by a wall that our driver expertly toppled on top of them and then there's a compound with uh the engineers came in and burned that there's that that's that picture of the fire this is a burning uh, weapons caches inside the uh um, i don't know if it was a cache or just suspected and we'll see what kind of cooks off or how it goes um but yeah that was like the first for me anyways i'm sure for a lot of guys that was like the first kind of wake up call kind of like and uh i want to say that was was there a feeling of like you have you feel like you're completely in control and then in that moment you kind of realize we're not completely in control and shit could happen at any time no like i said i rolled up on it at like it had already happened and then the section because i was in platoon headquarters i was in a my section my official section was uh i don't think their lab was was hit and I think they were able to return fire. Um, so there was definitely guys on the ground more so in that specific event that than I was. Yeah, but moving uh, forward from that, though, where, like, did you feel like you almost lost some sense of control? Like, like Yeah, I was scared after that. Yeah, that's what... Yeah, yeah no, I, uh, I... Up until that point, and even after tour and stuff, like, have the loudmouth, cocky kind of... That's me, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, now, you know, close to 40-year-old version of me, looking back on it, it's like that was the... That Medusa was kind of the, the pivotal change. Um, maybe not Medusa specifically, but just being there at that time. Um, obviously, everybody's going to say it changes them, so obviously it changed. Everybody goes through that change. 
Uh, I think for me it was like, um, quit fucking around. And, like, um, you know, I still crack jokes and I still was the joker and stuff. But it was, it was a lot different. Yeah. I was really trying to remember everything, man. Like, just be like... It's a thousand little lessons you learn in a thousand little 40-minute lectures by a thousand different master corporals and sergeants. And you're trying to remember what... Just go to your basic soldier skills. Yeah. Um, so how many days do you think that was into uh, Medusa? I can't remember if that was... the. This is how blurry it is. I yeah. can't remember if that was before the friendly fire or after. It's... Uh, I... I don't even have a grasp of how long it was. It's the one thing, like, so I pride myself in having a really good memory. Um, even in my current trade and stuff, I could always study for tests um, by not maybe knowing everything, but memorizing take up questions and memorizing study packages that staff gave us. I think uh, ourselves and the listeners will give you a pass on this one for not knowing the exact date or anything. But I, I, no, it's, and I'm not, I'm not saying it because. Uh, I it's so f- I've, uh, I've and I've dealt with this in therapy and everything yep. going like and talking especially with other buddies my buddy Norm was recently at my house there and uh, talking to him about he was in the same platoon structure and going oh this happened here no no Mike that happened it's a weird it's like I do that I go through it too man I totally get it's like it. there's a puzzle of Medusa and a guy who has a really good memory of putting that puzzle together can't formulate where in time it was like i know certain stuff because i have the pictures and they're a really good kind of baseline to go okay this this is the order that they're labeled on my camera uh, i get what you mean yep. so yeah, i know that this happened yep. here happened here yeah. and then i remember taking but then you go back to areas that you were operating in and that's when it really throws for a loop because it's like was this at Martello before Medusa? Was it after? <laughs> I wouldn't even, like, I get where that can get frustrating for sure, but I don't think any of us would ever go, oh, why is he talking about this before talking about this event or anything? Because that's, man, those events are so big. And uh, so, do, remember when that WikiLeaks thing happened? Yeah. This is a kind of an off topic thing, but I, uh, I actually went through the that time period because it's all on, it all got leaked through the. Even whatever. my tour is on there, yeah. Yeah, so you can read through. And you kind of get a sense of when casualties were taken and mm-hmm. dates. Yeah. So, like, I, I know certain... So, I want to say that happened in and around the 3rd of September. So, real early. Yeah. Real early on. But, you know what? I That could be wrong, too. So. I, what I'm picking up, too, is with you sharing this, there's going to be other people that are on that tour listening to this that will go, oh, wait. You know, they reach out. This happened. And you kind of piece it all together. Yeah, that happens a lot with yeah. us. When yeah. People reach out. Yes and no. Yeah, I think there's a... There's... I think you'll find... It's weird because it's so long now. Like, 14 years to me seems like a long... That's a long chunk of time. Like, decade plus, right? Yeah. And uh, so I remember we were talking about before kind of reading the paper as we were doing workup and being hyper-focused and reading and wanting to know what was going on and what's what caused this so I can avoid, you know, like that was kind of the the mind frame. And then from basically the end of my tour for about a decade, I would say it was like everything was turned off. There yeah. was no these books and stuff. It was only been within the last couple of years that I've read stuff. Um, yeah. 
that's Does that's that from, weird. No, because that's kind of <laughs> no. what I'm touching on as well. When I was asking you, like, did you feel wow. afterwards like you almost lose that sense of control and like we're we train so hard, we know what we're doing, and then it's like, oh shit, we don't know what's going to happen when it happens. This isn't an exercise where we're going out and you know the sergeant knows that the guys are over there and we're going to do this little battle in the woods going pew pew bang bang and then we're all going to go out for beer afterwards it's like yeah yeah we have to just rely on our training at the end of the day we don't know what's coming well a handy thing that we already were talking about with the reserves being such a chaotic <laughs> yeah i guess yeah. you're used to it right? so it'd be like i remember there being times where it was pretty chaotic and uh um, not it's kind of a morbid humor but i i just remember there being a lot of some times where it was a real appropriate time for everything to be super scary and super serious and then just being like having a smile on my face and going like this is how we operate all the time boys you don't know which way is up that's like the reserve you're sitting here on the side of the road waiting for your ride and it's not coming <laughs> we're used to that kind of <laughs> that's right force too yeah hurry yeah, up yeah. and wait and you never know what's happening yeah and there's like an I, anecdote with like that i heard of um, sorry, I'm scatterbrained. Uh, no, no. There's like a U.S. liaison officer that wrote a report, and it's like Canadian Forces uh, operates in chaos. That's why we're so effective in chaos, <laughs> because it's like where you get this big machine. Because we worked with the states, and they, I remember them being super um, taken back by how we operated. They couldn't kind of get over. They couldn't wrap their heads. They're like, "How long y'all on operations for?" And we're like, six months." seven months maybe we don't know how long the tour is going to be They're like no no not your tour how long are you all living out in the field for eating rations we're like six months i think like we go, <laughs> yeah. we go on hlta and yeah. explaining that to them and they're just like um i remember them the guy talking to it was because i'm from niagara and he was from 10th mountain but he grew up in buffalo so we like literally lived kilometers yeah. probably from one another same age demographic and everything and uh, him explaining that they were operating at a calf, they'd have like a week where they go out in the field, like out the wire, on operations, patrol, whatever. And then they would get relieved and go back to calf, rearm, refit, eat PT. But their tours were like way longer. Yeah, like a year. So it made sense. Um, but. Well, they also have larger numbers. And so that's another thing, right? Like, we kind of... But they were really cool. Like, the 10th Mountain guys, every time we got hooked up yeah, with Google them. them. What what yeah. cool call signs, eh? Yeah. Like, we have, like, the typical 4-2 Alpha or whatever, yeah. and then they're, like... Outlaw platoon. Yeah. Like, Mohawk Golden 6. Eye, Dark, Dirty yeah. Hawk. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and you're just yeah. like, what? What are these call signs? Yeah, I shared a picture of uh, on the Instagram there, and I had one of the a U.S. guy that was on that tour he thinks based on the picture <laughs> reach out and he's like can i get like copies of this and i'm like well send me an email i'll see what i can do but he they were like this call sign i think voodoo call sign was their air call sign and see? they were mohawk six see and we're like what are you guys we're like we're two two force bruiser <laughs> yeah 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 they're badass but i hey you know we had nickname. I think we were calling ourselves the Cowboys for a while because when we do our road moves, we just shoot at everything. I kept yes. getting brought in for like, hey, 
this guy's representative of the JAG, and he's going to explain to you why you can't do that anymore. That's kind of... I explained that that's how it happened on our tour. Like, after we lost our guys, people yeah. like EOFs were just skyrocketed. It yeah. was like, everyone was shooting at everything, because you just... At that point, it goes back to that feeling of losing control. You're like, I don't know what the fuck's going to happen, and I don't trust anyone here anymore. I think our section... My, my section, but I was in headquarters, but my section proper had gotten flatbedded back to calf once. What section proper? Like the section that I was in. Like I was 2-2 Charlie, um, but I got put into headquarters to be a part of weapons that with the C6. Do you know what I mean? So like I was in the headquarters lab. Yeah. So you got yeah. your three yeah. sections plus headquarters. Um, but Just for I, anyone else that. We were getting flatbedded. So Basically the lab's broken, so they have a low bed, just like you would have a backhoe transported on in Canada. And I remember our lab driver shooting warning shots from the driver's hatch from the flatbed. Because <laughs> he's like, well, I don't have to drive. So he had hatch open 10% or whatever it is. And uh, Jerry, <laughs> I think, or maybe it was Willie, one of the two drivers that, no, it would have been Jerry, uh, shooting warning shots. Shoot, eh? <laughs> like either, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, we had guys that were shooting like, he's not letting the big 20 mic go. No, no, just from the driver's hatch. This is C8 or whatever. <laughs> so with the friendly fire incident, do you remember much from that? Uh, no, I remember hearing about it. Um, like literally hearing it? Or well, I remember hearing it on the radio. Yeah. Uh, same with like uh, all the stuff that, I'll say like not the famous stuff, but all the um, uh, Jody Middick uh, got hit. That was all over the radio. Like it's all the... All stuff that's all been written about, and um, my perspective on it is just, I remember feeling, I remember feeling bad for guys that were good friends uh, with Mark Graham, and not me not knowing him well. I met him in the mods at a party. Um, Partying in a mod town, eh? No, in the mods, like oh. the like the shacks. Oh, and the barracks yeah we missed new guy games by a little bit and then they were like well we're gonna make up for it and we had a weekend where we were uh, just uh just they wanted to see oh see if you can drink or and then me free. and my buddy joe are like you don't know what you're fucking asking for let's go that was just their way of getting you to buy booze really is yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a free weekend is how they saw that yeah yeah but yeah good uh yeah so you got to meet Mark there at that? Very briefly. Don't don't claim to know him. And, you know, that's, but, that's what I'll say, too, is, like, you have this kind of weird, um, not hierarchy, but, like, uh, the guy wasn't in Charles. And then I'm sure there's people that were in Charles that weren't in Apleton or there was guys that, you know, you know, everybody's got their different story. And there's been times since tour where I was just like, well, I was just in Bravo and it was kind of like, it wasn't the same as those guys had it. Do you know what I mean? And everybody kind of does that. And then yeah. you get guys on other tours that were like, well, I was in Panjoy, but I wasn't on Medusa. And like, it's all kind of irrelevant, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it changes your life no matter what. Yeah. And the other thing that I always say to people is the way that I went through my own experience, my tour in my shoes would be could be completely different than how you would experience it and view yeah. it and interpret it and you could have walked away from the incidents that we had completely yeah. different than I walked away from it 
It's I had a I had a guy that was like, oh, well, you're in the battle group on Medusa, so I can't. And he was doing the the convoy stuff on that tour, like what Howie was doing. So like ripping through Kandahar, going to the Camp Nathan Smith, going to Wilson, going to Massengar. And I was like, well, I would argue that you had a more dangerous tour because if you think about it, you're on the road, you're covering ground, and it's just a at that it's a statistics and an odds game, right? Like. IEDs took out a lot more people than bullets did. Yeah. Well, especially on the tours after. Mm-hmm. But even on that tour, I remember those guys being like, I could see it. They were run ragged. We, when we got, we had an IED strike at uh, our, I think our whole company was moving. Um, and uh, I think our, I don't know if the OC's lab got hit or the one in front of them or whatever, but like a, a you know, a VB IED, a vehicle born yeah. improvised explosive device, uh, hitting the company. Little and white I, Toyota Corolla, by any chance? Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, I know the ignition coil with the keys still in it. Landed, I think, in the uh, in the license plate. Maybe landed in the OC's lab. Oh, like, anyways, but uh, but I remember the guys from the convoy escort. I don't know, force protection. I guess yeah. would be their, what they're called. And uh, I remember a couple of those guys knowing them from Reserve World and Bosnia and workup training guys from the Camerons and they would, they showed up and they were like you could tell they were tired man like we were tired but I was like you don't even look like the guy I know you're just gaunt like get some sleep but they were busy man even just going <clears throat> so the the road from Wilson to MSG is short but if you then take into account clearing culverts and shit like that it's you know you're going 10 kilometers could take you hours yes. in Afghanistan. So that road, that's Route Summit mm-hmm. between Wilson and yeah. Masamgar, when we were there was literally a bearing shot from Wilson's front gate to Masamgar in a straight line and that's the you know, the, the engineers and the Zettelmeyer and the and the machinery clearing a road. It doesn't matter what field or compound or great putt is in the way, we're going in the straight line. And anybody whose property is destroyed will be reimbursed through the Simic operators or whatever. So I got to do that, but anyways, continue. Yeah. So, but that, but I'm always like, I wonder what my strong point where I lived after Medusa for the rest of tour pretty well. So strong point uh, north or center or west or any of them. What? So they were like these little castles along that route summit, but there was no pavement. It was just like oh, moon shit. dust. So when I was there, it was all pavement. <laughs> yeah. I think they got it just at the end of tour. They're starting to put blacktop down in some of the, like, closer to Wilson and then yeah. down by, uh, I guess it's Zettelmeyer. I've never been to that fog. Okay, so I, hold on. Yeah. Okay. I, I got to go way back here. So yeah. when you're there, you're literally, this is literally pre them paving a road, like, direct door to door, basically. Yeah, camp to camp. Camp to camp. So yeah. yeah, so... Uh, that's Ford operating Yeah, that the so the the building of that road, it's it's funny because how you know you have people in space and satellites and technology up the wazoo, but at the end of the day, it's back to like Roman doctrine, and the Romans were able to conquer because they built roads everywhere behind them, so that they could go back to where they you know, mm-hmm. they, they they controlled these, were like the pipeline to, one place to another you know from. Italy to uh, 
you know, as far as they expanded outward, right? right. Uh, so this was kind of a similar idea in that we can drive our armored fighting vehicles on a road uh, and have a higher likelihood of not getting blown up if that road is pavement versus if it's moon dust uh, and stuff can get dug in. So the even though they still found ways to do it. Oh yeah, they'll just build a bigger bomb. Every, you know, that's Melt the how tar. she goes. But at the time, I remember it being like, like, so we're just building the road here, I guess. <laughs> so when they like plow down those houses and stuff that he was talking about, and then Simic. So when I was at uh, MSG, that's we were tagged along with Simic. So that's pretty much uh, they're civilian contractors. Yeah, I forget exactly. The Simic guys are uh, military. Like Black Heart, no, like Hearts and Minds guys. So you'd have your your human, you'd have your psyops, all your influence activities. Simic's one of those. So they would go out and uh, I'll give you I don't an know. example. I'm trying instead, to instead yeah. of someone coming into the house or coming to our fob and getting paid for the house that we just knocked down on the wall, we would go out to them, bring out a whole platoon of guys or half a platoon of guys, and go pay them. Or, like, we would also go out and find out if they needed wells built. Or if their bridges were collapsing, <clears throat> the infrastructure that needed to happen. So then these guys would tee it up with the engineers to yeah. then go in there. Build but, build schools, see what they need. But they're also, there's also a bit of intelligence. Not intelligence gathering, I wouldn't say, but... Well, yeah. Oh, absolutely. But they're, it, they're constantly meeting with uh, village elders and yeah. gathering intel and stuff. It's a, it's a real good way to operate because you have this... Again, this is my perspective. It's way outside. Um, you know, I'm sure the uh, higher, higher commands have uh, ways that they've orchestrated all this. But to me, it made sense. You know, if we're going to go in and drive in a straight line making a road, we're going to leave an effect behind us. And we can either leave a bitter, upset population behind us, or we could go, well, my house got bulldozed, but they built me a new one. Or, you know, now there's a school here, there's a well here, there's a road here. And, uh, you know, time will tell, I guess. Well, that's, and, yeah, no matter what's going on, if you're invading something, I keep on saying that, if you're pushing through into a, a country or a village or whatever, which yeah. is really what you're doing, you're saying, here I am. And then yeah. it's easier to go in and say, here, you, we're going to actually help you by providing X, Y, and Z, instead of just, like, we're here to, to protect you, you know? like. It, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's definitely a, a 180 from... You know the Russian doctrine when they were there, they weren't building schools or bridges or mosques or anything for anybody. Um, I, I have a friend that did Simic, Matt. He's uh, uh, he's I think I believe he's still with them, and he's uh, he's done a few tours and lots of stuff. And um, he would be a he'd be a good guest. He's a I wasn't the happiest working with Simic for the exact reason that I said. It's like I, I had a problem with, you know, we already lost a couple guys, and then it's you want us to leave the wire to, to go give someone money to someone that can come to the gate and get it. And But I also understand from the other side, it just sucked when you're only doing the security and you're like, it's our, I, I know we're the ones who are going to lose. I didn't see a huge amount of it when I was yeah, there. I, we did it every other, every, yeah. we did two weeks in the fobs and then two weeks in the city so and I as as probably uh, as much as it probably bugged you a bit for me hearing that that in the time since we left there was somebody on the ground because that was like the one thing I, I did not want to hear was that we're going to go through all this heartache of doing this 
fucking job and then turn around and be like oh well you know we're gonna hand it off to a different ally or somebody who's not us who's going to uh you know that patrol not keep that foot on the ground and kind of let it all be for nothing right that was always my my only issue and concern and yeah, it's interesting too talking to someone from the battle group because we had I forget who the reporter was that came with us, but she was explaining to us that a lot of the guys in the battle group felt like they wished they were doing some of the PRT stuff where we were doing you know it's reconstruction provincial reconstruction team and working with Simic and stuff where it's more of the hearts and minds and actually seeing like we go to schools where children were going to graduate and stuff seeing more of that like what we're actually doing and the impacts yeah. on the country and then we would be like we want to be going out and playing pokey chess because that's what we're supposed to be doing yeah and they're like it's, so they're, it's it's interesting because there's those two different perspectives too right yeah it's uh grass is always greener right? so. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah i'm sure that if we started getting into ticks every day i'd probably yeah. be like oh, i'll go back to driving around and checking out villages yeah and i think <laughs> i think either side of that equation can both agree that like as super important as it was the job that had to be done like in calf that was always my biggest animosity i remember going in and hating being in calf um i'm i and it wasn't anybody's fault and they were doing a job to support everybody but i remember being like get me out of here i would rather go eat my uh chicken tetrazzini mre and my bottle of water that's hot than go to tim hortons or whatever we only got into calf a few times and every time i went there it's just like i'd rather just be out there doing it it's very hard not to so i i'm the same way i understand that you need everyone to make that big green machine operate you need the clerks you need people issuing out your rain jackets and stuff like that but it is hard when you've been sticking your head in culverts looking for ieds taking care of people who just died like out in the battlefield and then coming in and seeing people walking around with tim horton's cup and then it's not that you was, I don't know, there is something about it though. Yeah. And it, yeah. It's, and you could always find the really good support trade people because they were like on you. Hey, what do you need? Just drop your shit here. We got it. Like they were like outside, out, you know, as much as they could do to help you. Yeah. Um, and like the, the support staff that were like out the wire too. Like I always couldn't believe how. So our medic, um, Again, bouncing all over the place. We had the same medic in our platoon all the way through workup, like definitely all through Wainwright and all, all tour except for when he was gone on his HLTA. And I think when he was gone on his HLTA, we, we chewed through like two or three medics going, <laughs> nope. Like we went out on a patrol once and the we had a medic that was like, couldn't, like what you were saying before, getting gassed, like he wasn't able to do it like from a physical standpoint. Or, yeah. Well, let's wheel it back into the, the gate because we can't go without you. We need yeah. you. And um, but Darren, amazing medics. Yeah, yeah, that's what this guy, uh, Doc Dyer. Everybody in Bravo knows who he is. Um, I think we call them pills, but he was like <laughs> pills. <laughs> he was the guy that was like, I seen him. Um, yeah, I don't know why he wasn't awarded something i think it came down to well it's his job to do that or some fucking bullshit but probably wasn't this a, guy a rank to get it or this guy like was just i seen him load up into a lab to go out to um save guys 
with like nothing but his med bag and his helmet and his plates just like bare assed like wearing pants obviously but yeah. <laughs> like just I, hey you guys will do all the shooting and protecting I got yeah, this to do. Got a job to do and uh our engineers just, were like that too they had all the faith in us which was awesome yeah like seeing that where yeah yeah we uh yeah, so I don't want to sound like I'm disparaging. Uh, that same way that to make our mechanics, they I'm pretty sure they work 24 seven. Oh yeah, like it was between like vehicles getting hit, wheels getting blown, like whatever it was. Those mechanics, like our mechanics, I'm pretty sure were 24 seven, or like getting called out for vehicles that get broke down. So it's like these guys are leaving the wire just to, they're putting themselves in danger just to pick up one of our vehicles. Yeah, we had a good crew. So, yeah, these are mechanics, not marksmen. Yeah, exactly. It's just like yeah. Driving the wrecker and being like ready to like working all night. I had a, a completely different perspective for mechanics, military mechanics yeah. after my tour. Uh, and it took halfway through tour to realize what was going on. Like those guys were in that mechanics bay 24 seven, unless they were going to recover a vehicle. It was like, yeah. the, I've, I felt bad for them. I'd rather go stick my head in culverts and do what they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> it felt more rewarding somehow than watching them, like, they were, like, slaving away on these vehicles so we could go out and operate. Yeah, yeah. some pretty outdated equipment in some senses, too. Like, I don't think any. The labs was... weren't bad, but it yeah. was still, like, they're getting beat up. You know, even top-of-the-line equipment, like, yeah. the power packs in those labs, the, the, the cat and Caterpillar engines that are in there, uh, I don't think... I think they've beefed them up since. They've made modifications. Jared's talking about the bisons, I think. Oh, yeah. I, just, I just mean, like, I mean, a, a, a lot, lot of it. Yeah. yeah Even, like, the G-Wagons. I'm sure the G-Wagons must have had a rough time going through the terrain. Yeah, I think the tour before I was one of the G-Wagons took a an RPG, but it wasn't armed. So it just the warhead smashed the glass <laughs> and shattered it, but it didn't explode. And... Uh, Oh, a guy I know that was on the tour before, Patricia guy that I know was like, yeah, I, I had quit smoking up until the point that that happened. So do you have any more Amadusa stuff you want to talk about? There was, <laughs> I, I know we're kind of like dragged, not dragged, I hate to say it that way, but I mean like, it was a big event, like a big operation that happened, obviously. And the other reason why we got in quick was because we have we're going to be doing the rock march with chris barkley yeah for Amadusa. so it's uh that was a big point of getting you in too is i want to make sure that you talked about everything that you had the opportunity to talk about everything you want to yeah i think so um the the kind of the path forward uh post military whenever that happens because uh, i believe i'm close to being out but uh i don't have a release date or anything but uh yeah i'm still in so Anybody's upset with anything I've said, contact my chain of command. I'm not sure Mike Apatoski. Yeah, by the time he gets up the chain, you'll probably be gone anyway. But I don't, I don't think it's anything that I... I think it's all uh, good stuff what you're doing here, especially the charity aspect. So, um, yeah, I, I heard about that. Uh, I like to ruck march. I still do. Uh, uh, after Afghanistan, I did... Uh, Cambrian Patrol in Wales and Ironman in Petawawa uh, 2015, I think we did that. So I like to do that kind of thing. So when I heard that there was like a, it was kind of like the, all three things kind of coming together, this tour I was on, this pastime I enjoy rucking and charity, I was kind of like, sign me up, 
so I got a few buddies that I don't think they're registered because I think it's going to be limited, so uh, there's a limit on it, so make sure that you get in there. I don't know what to know. But a uh, couple, that's the other thing about Trenton. There seems to be a, a hotbed of uh, ex-infantry guys there who, you know, kind of trying to do that other thing and go join the Air Force and well, it's, get a trade. So I've got a few of those buddies that are well, interested. Are you going to be coming back to this area once you get released? No, my wife's in. So, oh, that's right. So we'll be uh, we'll be staying where we are at least for the for the time. A big thing is keeping the healthy activities and keeping the community together, staying involved in the community. I go through periods where I'm like, "Fuck the military, fuck everyone that was in it." That's I'm not gonna lie. That's pretty much how I yeah. feel. But I always come back to it. You'll always miss a piece of it, uh, and there's something about staying within that community and keeping with the boys and stuff like that right so. hey i've gotten real bitter over the years for sure um <laughs> most of us have but it's it's it all still i'll always still um champion it for what it like i'm never so uh malevolent that i ever want to see it fail i believe in it as an institution um even some of the more kind of some of the dumb things that you think are dumb, I've seen them play out and go, okay, well, there's a reason behind it. Um, so I try not to let any of my own shit cloud that. Uh, but what I, what I will kind of, like what you were saying is, uh, and I use this analogy all the time, it's my relationship with the military is like a, uh, a battered spouse in that it can beat you down, it can beat you down, but you'll always want to go back and you'll always want to fix you know, you always want it to do good. You believe in it. It's the, still the, the military I joined and I loved when I was new and kind of a bit naive. Um, so I don't want to ever make anyone think that it's like, it, in my opinion, it is the greatest military in the world because of its flaws, because of its, I, I really believe that. I like um, Such a, you, you have a great perspective and you obviously have a great sense of where you're at personally. Well, it's taken well, a long is, time to come yeah. to that. But that's that's great to be putting out there, and for other people that are going through those moments too. Especially, there's going to be guys that right now that are like fuck the military. But then hearing that, and then when they get to that point where they're like, well, maybe I'm missing it a bit. It's normal. Like we all, a lot of us go through that. It's completely normal. Everybody who goes through that, and I told it to young guys that I'm kind of buddies with, and said like, um, now where I have this perspective looking back, it's I can't. You know, I can't change what's my story. I can't change what I've gone through. Um, but what I can say to those guys is like, don't, don't ever let it get the better of you, and let it. Things are going to happen. So you're you're faced with all these decisions as you go through life, and a future version of you is going to be looking back and going, man, when I was there, all I should have done was not go and fuck around with that crowd that was a bad influence, or. I should have done this differently. Not to live in the past, um, but it's I really a reality though that a lot of us do. You yeah, can't always avoid it. And I think this is a good thing. Uh, I've been reaching out to guys from my tour who I, like I said, I had kind of put the pause button mentally checked out for like a decade, where I was just not reading anything, not going. I had pictures just sitting on a drive, just kind of. I'd post them every so often, Remembrance Day or whatever. And, I'm the exact same way. Yeah, okay. I feel oh, like, like this is a very common. Exactly. We're gonna want those for your episode. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've got some good ones. Uh, at some point, post military, uh, 
the the plan. Not that I'm I have I can't plug anything. I don't have a, a website or anything. But uh, I'm gonna I think I'm gonna take. I have thousands of really beautiful pictures. I'd like to do a coffee table book or something. Well, if you do, let us know. We'll spread it for sure for you. Yeah, that's awesome. But it'll be lots of pictures. Very infantry friendly. <laughs> Not a lot of words. <laughs> the Marines can read it too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, I. Uh, Picture says a thousand words. Yeah. I, I I still have guys all up and down the chain from my tour that reach out and they're like, "Hey, I have one guy that lost everything, lost all his pictures, and he's like, you were probably the guy.' And that's I, that's how I felt my place on that tour was. I was as much of a reserve augmentee rifleman as I was just like this outsider taking pictures and we're all the bravado of the reg force guys they'd be at first hey this guy just take he's on his combat tourism course you know laughing kind yeah. of poking fun yeah. and then I remember like about the midway point be like get Mike up here to grab some pictures of this because we know he's got all the he's got a good camera and uh, yeah, I'm sure that they're not making fun of you now. <laughs> oh, sure they are. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that never ends in yeah, the infantry, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. So. No, but uh, I tried to go photo tech uh, and maybe do a, an OT, but I, I don't think it's going to happen. So I think... Uh, yeah, that's all right. Well, thanks for coming in, man. Yeah, we I really appreciate, appreciate sharing stories. We'll see you on uh, the Ruck March. Uh, maybe we can chat with you some more there, too. September 19th? 19th. Yeah. And, and in Whitby. What's up? And, and for anybody, is there still spots to sign up for that and everything? Or? Uh, as I, far as I know, there is. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Facebook, K Brock, I think it is. Fuck. Uh, I don't know. Chris Barkley, Rock for Remembrance, uh, Wounded Warriors Canada. Yep. Somewhere. Yep. Somewhere Google will there. help you find that, I'm sure. Yeah. Jurgen, <laughs> you going to get your read in there, buddy? Here it is. Here it comes. Get it. You know, if I love how this has become like a bit. <laughs> you know, if you're listening this long, I'm gonna start asking. I'm gonna start asking for something. Echo Charles, how can you get on the path? <laughs> yeah, really, it's like we're following Jocko's podcast. So yeah, just you know, leave a leave a review so for us. Nice. Yeah, leave a review for us on on Apple Podcasts. I mean, that's. I'm, I gotta admit, I'm ignorant. I, I don't listen on anywhere else for my podcast. So if you can leave a review on wherever you are listening, that's great because it just helps this get found. And like today with 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 Mike's story, there's gonna be someone else that's gonna hear this and go, "Oh wait, there is this. That makes sense. I heard. I remember that part now." And it kind of links things together. So you know, maybe just leaving that review will just bump it up in those algorithms on Apple a bit more, and someone finds this this podcast. And thanks for listening.